It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Hello to everyone. Welcome to the program. In the last two episodes of this program, I discussed some aspects of Jesus' uniqueness. Today, I want to discuss Jesus from another perspective. In the 18th century, influenced by the Age of Enlightenment, a number of scholars began questioning the reliability of the four gospel accounts in the New Testament concerning Jesus' life, deeds, and purposes. Today, the media promote, with no supporting evidence, these criticisms scholars have raised. The criticisms have been repeated so often that now many people accept them without hesitation. No one seems to approach the authority upon which these criticisms are raised. Consequently, there are many conflicting opinions about who Jesus really was and what he did. In this episode, I intend to explore some of the common misconceptions, what I call fictions, concerning what the Bible says about Jesus. Then I will give facts that will refute the fictions. My desire is that this process will become a resource first for believers in Christ who may be troubled by some of these fictions, and second, for some people who are exploring the Christian faith, that they may use these facts to remove their doubts. This is not a natural issue. It is a spiritual matter with implications of our eternal destiny. Fiction 1. The gospel accounts in the New Testament regarding Jesus cannot be trusted because these records were written perhaps as late as the end of the second century or later. Fact. J. Warner Wallace, a homicide detective and author of Cold Case Christianity, refers to the comments of three writers who advocate the Gospels were written quite late. First, Bart Ehrman, a skeptic of Christianity, author of numerous skeptical books including The Orthodox Corruption of Scripture, Jesus Interrupted, and When Did Jesus Become God? Ehrman writes, Quotes, Our very first reference to Jesus' tomb being empty is in the Gospel of Mark, written 40 years later by someone living in a different country who had heard that it was empty. How could he know? End quotes. Second, Gaza Vermes, an historian and the author of The Changing Faces of Jesus, 
says, quote, the so-called gospel of John is something special and reflects the evolved theology of a Christian writer who lived three generations after Jesus, end quotes. Third, Charles Waite, also an historian and the author of History of the Christian Religion to the Year 200, writes that no relics, quotes, may be looked upon as furnishing additional evidence of the existence of these Gospels, and which was executed earlier than the latter part of the second century, end quotes. J. Warner Wallace writes, page 160 of his book, quote, if the Gospels are late, they're a lie, end quotes. But on page 161, Wallace writes, contrarily, quote, there are many pieces of circumstantial evidence that form a compelling case for the early dating of the Gospels, end quotes. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, typically dated at 50 A.D., proclaims that Jesus was the resurrected Son of God. Just 17 years after the resurrection, Jesus was described as divine. In fact, Paul's outline of Jesus' life matches that of the Gospels. We know Paul saw the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, mentioned in Acts 9, soon after the resurrection. Wallace continues, Paul saw the risen Christ and learned about the gospel accounts from eyewitnesses, Peter and James, within five years of the crucifixion. Most scholars place Paul's conversion from 33 to 36 A.D., and he visited Peter and James within three years of his conversion, according to Galatians chapter 1, verse 19. That is why Paul was able to tell the Corinthians that there were still more than 500 brethren who could confirm the resurrection accounts in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6. That's a gutsy claim to make in 53 to 57 AD, when his readers could easily have accepted his challenge and called him out as a liar if the claim was untrue. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 25, Paul quoted Luke's gospel, found in Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20. In his gospel, Luke quoted 350 verses from Mark and 250 verses from Matthew. Wallace says it's reasonable to conclude that Mark's account was already recognized, accepted, and available to Luke prior to his authorship of his gospel. Luke, a physician and an historian, claimed in the prologue of his gospel, that's in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, that his gospel was based on information gained from eyewitnesses he interviewed. The gospel of John claims to have been written by the very disciple whom Jesus loved. That's in John chapter 21, verses 20 through 25. 
Peter says that they were eyewitnesses of his majesty. That can be found in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. J. Warner Wallace observes that the New Testament fails to mention the most significant Jewish historical event of the first century, namely the destruction of the Jerusalem temple in 70 AD, nor the siege of, of Jerusalem by the Roman army in 67 to 70 AD. Luke, the author of his gospel and Acts of the Apostles, does not mention the deaths of Paul and Peter. We know Paul was executed in Rome in 64 AD, and Peter was martyred shortly after in 65 AD. No mention of the death of James, the half-brother of Jesus, in 62 AD. Thus, it must be that those things had not occurred yet, so their writings must have happened prior to 62 A.D. Wallace gives a timeline that Mark writes his gospel in 45 to 50 A.D., Luke writes his gospel in 50 to 53 A.D., Paul quotes Luke in 53 to 57 A.D., deaths of James, Peter, and Paul in 61 to 65 A.D., siege of Jerusalem in 67 to 70 A.D., and the temple of Jerusalem destroyed in 70 A.D. Thus, the circumstantial evidence supports an early dating for the Gospels in the first century during the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. Fiction 2. Jesus probably did not exist. Fact. Historical data confirm that the gospel testimonies are reliable and accurate. Historians agree that Jesus of Nazareth did, in fact, exist. Bart Ehrman, the Christian skeptic who ordinarily advances ideas totally contrary to Orthodox Christianity, surprisingly says, quotes, I think the evidence is just so overwhelming that Jesus existed that it's silly to talk about him not existing. I don't know anyone who is a responsible historian who is actually trained in the historical method or anybody who is a biblical scholar who does this for a living who gives any credence at all to any of this, in quotes. Biblical scholar F.F. F. Bruce stated, the historicity of Christ is as axiomatic for any unbiased historian as the historicity of Julius Caesar. Since we all had Julius Caesar in our English literature classes in high school, we should anticipate that historicity is well established. Many extra-biblical documents from around the time of Jesus confirmed the existence of Jesus. Besides the records in the New Testament, there are references to Jesus in the writings of 1st century and early 2nd century non-biblical writers, such as the Jewish historian Josephus and the Roman historians Tacitus and Pliny the Younger. Seven other ancient non-biblical writers confirm the existence of Jesus. Throughout the epistle of 1 John is the emphasis that Jesus appeared in history. John writes, 
quotes, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. That's in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. John is referring to Jesus, and he is saying he and the other apostles were eyewitnesses of Jesus' deeds and compassion. Fiction 3. The story of Jesus of Nazareth is a myth. Others say, can we be sure he was who he claimed to be? After all, even his own family did not accept what he claimed about himself. Theologians in the world's most prestigious universities disagree among themselves. Fact, some major religions honor Jesus to some degree. Islam, for example, calls him a prophet. Mormons think of Jesus as a separate God distinct from the Father that they call Elohim. However, contrary to what the New Testament says about Jesus, Mormons claim Jesus was created as a spirit child by the Father and Mother in heaven and is an elder brother of all men and spirit beings, including Lucifer. His body was created through sexual union with Elohim and Mary. Other religions say various things about him. Jehovah's Witnesses say Jesus is not God. Before he lived on earth, he was Michael, the archangel. On earth, he was a man who lived a perfect life. After dying on a stake, not a cross, he was resurrected as a spirit, not bodily. His body was destroyed. Jehovah's Witnesses also say Jesus is not coming again. But he returned invisibly in 1914 in spirit. Very soon, he and the angels will destroy all non-Jehovah's Witnesses. Christian science, which is neither Christian nor science, claims Jesus was not the Christ, but a man who displayed the Christ idea. Jesus was not God, and God never became man or flesh. Jesus did not suffer, nor could he suffer for sins. He did not die on the cross. He was not resurrected physically, and he will not literally come back to earth. New Age affirms that Jesus is not the one true God. He's not a savior but a spiritual guru, and is now an ascended master. He was a New Ager who tapped into divine power in the same way that any human being can. Many New Age people believe he went east to India or Tibet and learned mystical truths. He did not rise physically from the dead, but rose in a higher spiritual realm, whatever that means. Allow me to close this episode by reminding you, exercise daily, walk with God.
Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.